0: Welcome to episode six of the Triathlete Hour. I'm Kelly O'Meara, your host and editor-in-chief of Triathlete Magazine. We have something a little different in store for you today. Later in the show, I'll be talking to pro power couple Paula Finley and Eric Lagerstrom about what it's like to live the van life. The two were in Arizona for training camp when the coronavirus situation led to shelter-in-place orders. So they've been quarantining in a unique way. And in the process, they're refinding their love of the sport and going after some KOMs along the way. First, though, we ran an interview on Triathlete's website a few weeks ago with Dr. Tasman Lewis, a former pro triathlete and winner of Ironman UK, who contracted COVID-19 a little over a month ago. In the course of working on that story, she sent us a few voice memos answering some questions about what it's like to deal with the illness, how she went back to exercising too quickly, and what she wants triathletes to know. She agreed to let us share some of her thoughts in her own words here. Hopefully you find it as interesting and useful as we did in the midst of this pandemic. Though Tasman currently lives in London and works as a doctor, she’s been quarantining and recovering in the British countryside. She’s also been documenting her recovery in video diaries on her Instagram at Sporty Doc. While this illness has so many unknowns and can vary from person to person, here's her story in her words of how she contracted it and how she’s recovering.
1: It's been very very difficult. It's been a month now since I first con- contracted symptoms. Um how do I think I contracted it? Well, I'm a medical doctor. I was living in central London. I was travelling on public transport. I'd also come back from Thailand mid January. So, um had some vague symptoms um of a chest infection at the end of at the end of um, end of January, which kind of gave me a residual I um I guess predisposition to acquiring this um virus because it 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 did go to my lungs quite quickly and because i had um um, a mild what they call tracheitis which is inflammation of the the windpipe essentially um in february it meant that when i did get the coronavirus it it did go to my chest fairly quickly within the first seven days so um i i can send you a timeline trajectory because i've written it um I've written it down on my Instagram post. Um, day one, fever, um, and then going through today um where we are now, four weeks. Um, it's been it's it's definitely been a bumpy course. It's kind of been two steps forward and one step back. Um, but I'll send you a couple of links to that. Um, how do I think I can um what were initial symptoms? Um again, the first night, um I came back from having dinner, you know, as athletes were very self-aware, had um, sort of like this kind of racy heart, and then I developed some stomach cramps and felt a bit like cold, like chill, like I had chills, went to bed. Next day, woke up, my aura ring, you might be aware of them, O-U-R-A, they track your heart rate variability, your body temperature, your heart rate, and your sleep. It kind of gave me a red flag to say that my body temperature was up 3.3 Fahrenheit, um, said I'd had a bad night, heart rate was elevated, and that was kind of the first the first time I thought, hmm, this might be something. But you know, I've had that before. It was nothing new other than the fatigue I felt, that kind of heaviness in the middle of the night when I woke up to have a drink. Um, was just extraordinary. Um so those were the initial symptoms really, and the chest, the tightness of the chest evolved over the next seven days. Um, And cough, very light, but I guess a very light dry cough. But this really heavy um, aching and soreness in my joints, specifically in my um, hip flexors and my lower back, it felt like my body was on fire around that region, around the pelvic region, despite not, you know, not doing any exercise. It was very tiring just to walk around at that point. And we knew that that is a sign that one has contracted a more severe form of COVID-19. Um, uh, when you get that very strong inflammatory reaction, um, it's caused it's caused by cytokines, and you get to experience that as very deep muscle aches and joint aches. Um, <clears throat> I was, I did a blood test on day, what we now know to be day two, because I had access to a blood test. I could take my own blood in London. It showed that my white cell count was low, my lymphocyte count was low, so very much a proxy for a viral infection. Um, And it also showed one of the liver enzymes, ALT, was raised, and my LDH, another marker of um, inflammation and infection, was raised. So I had all the the markers that this was potentially going to be something not great. I was also quite sweaty. Um, My heart rate was high, I was... um, felt quite agitated. I think that was my body trying to just mobilise me to say, hey, this is something that you can't mess with and get me to a place of relative safety, which um, I guess is in the country. London has has really kicked off. Um, well, I first had a test for COVID-19 via a nasopharyngeal swab on the, I think it was the 15th of March, so about 10 days after I got symptoms. 25th of March, yeah, 25th of March. Um, And that came back as being um, positive um, viral RNA uh, for SARS-CoV-2. By that time, I'd started to get a bit better, went for a, a long walk, stroke, tried to do a bit of a run and ended up that evening with a fever again, lots of joint swelling in my hips and my knees again something I've never experienced at all in my life. Um, So it set me hugely back. And that's something that I really want to come through in this story is that if you get this virus or even assume that you get this virus and aren't able to be tested, that as soon as you exercise, you will likely set yourself back. You have to take it super, super easy, especially if you've had more severe symptoms like chest symptoms and this deep muscle aches. My peak symptoms, I think the worst point of this illness is really two points. One, the severe pain that I experienced in my hip flexors and my lower back, which as I said, it was nothing like I've ever experienced even after you know running an Ironman. Uh, it was a, like a hot burning pain, really deep, very um, stabbing pain. And also secondarily, this, this sensation of not being able to breathe. I think as athletes, we take our lungs for granted. And I certainly never thought I'd be willingly or unwillingly out of breath walking you know up a, up a stairs and having to use the banister for weeks you know like having to get up the stairs it's it's quite extraordinary how this takes you down those were the things really that the, the, the muscle soreness and this this awful shortness of breath that one gets with this illness as it um, infects the lungs and causes inflammation um as um, a triathlete how's my athletic experience helped Um, I think what I've learned is that if you ask for any medical help, the the medics really don't take into account that you have a lot of reserve as an athlete in terms of a cardiovascular reserve in your lungs and in your heart. You know, my my resting heart rate was elevated from 40 to 80, and yet it wasn't taken seriously, even though, because that was within normal range. But, you know, if it's not certainly not a normal range for, for athletes, you know, we know our baselines are different. So I think... I've learnt that people don't, you know, medics don't really know what that looks like. Um, I think it took, given that I had healthy lungs, it, my oxygen saturations I was measuring through this fingertip device, the PO2 monitor, um, didn't really go down that much, even though I was experiencing shortness of breath and tight chest. So we're very efficient as athletes as at extracting oxygen from from the blood. Now, that's only the case if you're not anemic. So please don't be anemic because it's going to increase your risk of developing complications of of coronavirus. Um, So get checked and make sure you're not anemic. I think other than that, I think the athletic mindset has been detrimental because, you know, I always want to exercise and my default is wanting to get up in the morning and do some exercise. And as soon as I feel a little bit better, I will push that boundary a little bit, and my body's up and you know historically able to keep up, but as soon as I've pushed any boundary whilst being having this virus and recovering from this virus, I've been set back um and that's you know been challenging because you know having to lie about all days is, is difficult, even though that's not what I've been doing most of the time, but I've been forced to through feeling so bad at times um I think it's that triathletes also have a nice community of people, so I've had quite a lot of people to to tap into for support and advice. Um, to the lens of being a doctor, what surprised me? What has surprised me is that we're all kind of learning and in this together for, as medics. Like, we really don't know how to treat this yet. And I'm on a number of groups with a number of healthcare professionals who... Um, you know, are figuring out what do we do, what works, what doesn't work, we're being forced to produce drugs or to trial drugs in, you know, non-usual formats, or to push them through trials very quickly without um, safety data, as is the case with things like hydroxychloroquine. And, um, you know, they're, they're, these these things have side effects. So um, it surprised me that we we can be so baffled by a virus like this. And that's the scary thing that you know, it's trusting the expertise and the insights and the guidance that I've had. And, you know, there's been times in the middle of the night where I'm, like, you know, feeling like there's really nowhere to turn. You know, they won't take you into hospital unless you're really, really unwell. Um, and there's no-one really on tap to, to care for you, and you kind of have to suffer it through. And it it feels like you've done three Ironmans in a row every day, um, plus not being able to breathe. And it's not really not very nice. And now I have to say to you, look, that not everyone suffers it like this at all as you know but um, I I do think perhaps my history of extreme endurance uh, athleticism accompanied by um, a tendency or to under eat under fuel in the past has affected my immune um, it has compromised my immune system so I want to flag that up for people that you really have to be encouraged restorative practices in these times to improve your immunity, specifically if you've had any coughs or cold quite frequently, um, or have any history of autoimmune disorders like Hashimoto's or um, hypothyroidism, for example. Um, this is basically what I want to get through to triathletes, basically. Um, I just want them to know that you've really got to take it easy if you get infected. Um, and, you know, it, it's worth having a blood test with a consumer company to look at your vitamin D levels, your um, your hemoglobin, plus or minus anemia, um, vitamin B12, magnesium. You know, I think all of that is important because all of those contribute to immunity. And, you know, you really need to prioritize um, the restorative, recuperative aspect of exercise if you're training during this time. Um, otherwise, it potentially could hit you so for example really prioritizing refueling in the window after exercise when your immunity is the most compromised is important in that hour post hour to 90 minutes post exercise uh avoiding you know long periods of fasted training for example um that's what i really want to get through and you know there are lasting damage uh, damaging effects from this uh, this illness potentially in my own experience with joint inflammation joint pain i've never had anything like that and you are a month down the line and I'm being forced to see um, a rheumatologist to to explore whether the virus has triggered off um, autoimmunity in my body, um, which, which really raises flags. Um, what am I looking forward to when I've recovered? I, when I've been doing some meditation to really keep me calm and um, help me through times that have been difficult during this virus... I was thinking and dreaming about climbing Alp Duez again, the big famous mountain in in France, and I was dreaming about all the hills that I've climbed on my bike. Alp Duez triathlon is one of my favourite triathlons. I'd love to get back in that one day. Um, I'm certainly not interested in competing, um, and I've changed very much. Changed my outlook on on what matters. Um, so my competitive mindset has really been forced to change more about the. Uh, the journey rather than the destination and, um, you know, the enjoyment of the challenge rather than the placing. Um, what worries me most, um, having people who are breaking quarantine to train together, to think that they are above this virus, to think that it will never affect them, that their immune systems are strong. Um, there's, th- th- this virus can affect anyone. Um, you know, yes, it is more likely to affect people who are older with health conditions, but, you know, it certainly can affect younger people, and it can certainly take you down. So, um, please, like, be careful, and, uh, uh, you know, do the social distancing, um, and really eat well, try and sleep well, and, you know, Measure your HRV, your heart rate variability, to see how restored your nervous system is and therefore your recovery from whatever exercise and training you've been doing. Um, What has been encouraging through this time? The ability to like really check into your community and the people that you know care about you those are the people that get in touch um, and really support you so I've noted about who those people are and that's been that's been really interesting it's also been nice to have more time with my daughter even though I'm unwell it's also been nice to have some time in the country outside of London enjoy some fresh air and some, and some walks and hopefully when I'm a bit better while we're still in quarantine um, maybe a bit back on my bike So yeah, I hope, I hope that's all helpful.
0: Thank you, Tasman, for sharing all that insight with us. And you can read more about her experience on triathlete.com or on her Instagram at sporty doc. We'll be taking a quick break. And then after that, it's time to talk to Paula and Eric. You know, you don't want to miss anything coming up on the Triathlete Hour. So subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. Now, the rest of the show. All right. This week, I have Eric Lagersham and Paula Findlay joining me uh, together. So we'll see how this goes. Thanks, guys, for for chatting with me from your quarantine in Tucson. Is that That's where you are, right?
2: Yeah, we're in Tucson
0: right now.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, happy to be here.
0: So, <laughs> so uh, my understanding is, and maybe I have this wrong, but you guys basically went to Tucson to do like a training camp and then and now it's like an extended stay training camp. Is that right?
2: Yeah, we, we basically came down here. Eric has a house in Oregon, which where we spend a lot of time, but we came down here in February to have some warm weather before going to Oceanside and starting off the season. So um, we partly stayed with Heather and Waddy, partly rented another place. And um, when everything kind of blew apart and races start get, started getting canceled, we had to decide what our move was, if we were going to go back home or stay here. And ultimately, we decided that the weather's way better here. We have really good company here. We have the opportunity to do some camping and open water swimming. So um, we stayed for a bit. We're not quite sure when we're going to go back, but um, I guess everything's up in the air for everyone right now.
0: (laughs) So are you guys actually staying, because I know you guys travel a lot by van. Are you guys actually staying by van? Are you staying with, when you said Heather, you mean Heather Jackson, right? Like, are you staying with her? What's your your situation?
2: Um, When we're going for camps, we We've never actually lived in the van. It's a great tool for big road trips. We can fit five bikes in it. It has a bed. We can sleep in it. It's super comfortable. But when we're training full on and getting ready for races, it's not the most optimal setup. It doesn't really have like running water or bathroom or kitchen, things like that. So for sort of five or six state camping trips, it's awesome. But we've set up base uh, with Heather Jackson and Wadi where it's a lot easier to train properly. And um, that's sort of the approach we take when we go to training camps is drive in the van and then find somewhere to kind of set up base for several weeks.
3: Yeah. It's been a little bit different since the quarantine hit and everything and races got canceled. We've kind of, we've been doing like maybe five days at a time in the van in Patagonia where we can swim in a lake and then come back here to Heather and Wadi's place for two days to upload our video, do some laundry, you know, whatever, grocery shop we, we're trying not to go into the grocery stores down in patagonia just to, you know be respectful of bringing any if we have anything on us into the grocery stores down there so um yeah and then we just kind of head back out and do another five days or whatever it is
0: it's an interesting setup obviously it's very different than like kind of everyone else is sort of like holed up in their house it sounds a lot more appealing in a lot of ways
3: yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, we're just pretty fortunate, I think, in Arizona here that almost nothing is shut down. I know that up in Oregon, where I'm from, like kind of all the national parks and um, anywhere where people could like run out of the city to go to and kind of concentrate has been shut down. So um, we're kind of fortunate that the Patagonia campground is still open. We've done a little bit of time there and then we've done some uh, good chunk of time just completely off the grid on a fire road, you know, you don't see a, entire, a single car for the entire day. And I think that's as optimal as it gets for right now. So,
0: yeah, no, it sounds great. And I think it's also interesting. I mean, you guys ended up with a nice, uh, a lot of people don't have any training partners because obviously right now you're trying to limit contact, but you were already staying with Heather. So now you have a built in training yeah. buddy, yeah. right?
3: Got For super sure. lucky with our corn team. That's a, actually a full yeah. team. <laughs>
2: it's a big reason why we haven't left yet is it's like so nice to have company and people to train with and our everyone's motivation is kind of coming in waves. Like we'll, one person will want to train, one person will be like, what's the point? So it kind of ke- helps keep the morale overall high if you have four people that are, we all like triathlon, we all want to train, but obviously there's times where it's tougher in days when we don't feel like it. So um, nice to have other people for sure.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you guys about like, kind of what is your motivation right now? What are you like telling yourself? Like, is it just about exercising? Is it having fun? Are you, you know, trying to stay healthy and fit for races that may come eventually? Like what's your kind of day to day?
2: Yeah. As time goes on, it's becoming more and more apparent that races are probably aren't going to happen like until maybe the fall, maybe not even at all this year. So, um, originally like a couple weeks ago our training was more based towards let's get ready for the fall and race really well then and as that's becoming less realistic we're realizing that we train because we really love to train and it's obviously a lot more flexible like we don't have a regimen and training program like we normally would but we're still getting out and running or riding every day and um, doing hard attempts and efforts when we can because we did train hard for three months leading into the time when we were supposed to race so we're still relatively fit and we like going and, you know, chasing cool things. So I tried to get the lemon Q O M the other day and we're on Zwift racing and things like that because we enjoy it. Not cause we have to, or because it's, you know, we want to prove anything. It's just because we have fun doing it and we like training.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, it feels good to be in shape and feel good versus whenever it is that we start really training again, <laughs> kind of so out of it that it sucks. It's, and, like, another thing that I think is pretty big for, for Paula, just in, like, her history with um trying to get to, like, really consistent running over time, I think that's, like, a really great opportunity to, like, not feel a super bunch of pressure, like, kind of make up little things that you might have in core stability or, you know, just, like, anything that's you've been meaning to work on, you can kind of work on and you have the time and to be patient and not rush anything. So, that's nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it sounds a lot more fun. You mentioned the, K- the QOM, not the KOM. Uh, you said you tried to get it. I thought you did get it, right? <laughs> oh, you have
3: to watch. Uh, yeah, we're, no, I
2: did get it. Yeah, we I tried. <laughs> I mean, as in, we like kind of set out to do it, Heather and I, and unsure if we'd be able to, but it yeah. depended a lot on. We like tried to pick the day with the best wind conditions and the day that we were not going to be tired from the previous day. So there was a bit of build up to it. And yeah, I, I felt good that day. And and got it and uh Eric filmed it. So
3: Yeah, honestly, I think <laughs> Waddy and I were more hyped and excited about it than Heather and Paula actually were, you know. You can as I'm going through and editing the whole video and everything, like Waddy and I look like we're dialed up to eleven and Heather and Paula are kinda like, Yeah, it's gonna be fun and we're gonna you know, it'll be cool and, and well, I've got like splits written on my hand and Waddy's like turning up Heather's bike and <laughs> And we, I mean, I felt like it was race day. It was so cool to feel that again when it's <laughs> kind of assumed that wasn't going to happen for a while. So hopefully pick something else out that we can do.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you about QOMs and KOMs. Yeah. Because obviously a lot of our readers are starting to wonder, you know, is this like a good, is that something they can do? Like go after some KOMs. And the Mount Lemon one's huge. And we did a story about like Lionel and Sam Long going after it. And people Mm -hmm. were very excited just to have, like, kind of any pro competition to watch. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that they're also Mm -hmm. excited to see your guys' video and see, like, the women go after it, right? Like, something
2: gave us the idea, I think, initially. And it was an interesting, not that we set out as it to be a competition. We were doing it like friendly rivalry, kind of. We both wanted one of us to get it. But Heather's specialty, obviously, is like the longer stuff. And mine's coming from an ITU background, shorter, like 20 minute kind of power. So, it's an hour 40, um, which is a bit longer than I would be good at. So we were totally unsure, like who would be better over that distance right now. So it was, it was interesting.
0: Um, so you are thinking about doing some more of those then how do you pick, I mean, also just for our like listeners and stuff who are curious, how do you kind of like pick KOMs and QOMs and like get ready for that? And do you, do you guys like comb Strava or is it just word of mouth?
2: <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) Uh,
3: a little bit. I think that one's a really obvious one. You know, the the huge mountain that you look at every single day, and there's a road that goes up. But it's it's pretty obvious. But um, like even just yesterday evening, I was out riding and just doing a loop around the neighborhood, and there's this really cool road that kind of drops slowly and weaves and dips. And there's just certain places where you kind of go, "Oh man!" Like that was such a fun thing. I bet that's a segment and. Um, like for me, the things that I specialize in more—if you were going to say call KOM hunting a, a sport or a hobby or something—are things that have to <laughs> me, that are more flat or rolling and have some technical aspects to it. Versus obviously, Paula's just like incredible power to weight ratio. So I think it kind of as you're out there and you're riding around, if you if you like a road, there chances is there's probably a segment on it, or you can make one and. If it feels right to you and it moves you, like gets you excited, then that's the one to do. If it moves you. Okay.
0: Okay. And you guys have also been doing the Zwift racing, right? Or at least I saw Paula did the one on Wednesday, right? How are you guys... I mean, you're not doing that out of your van, right? You're doing that at Heather's (laughs) or like in the garage or... How how does that
3: work? That's one thing we need to come back to uh, civilization for.
2: Yeah. (laughs) The Zwift racing. But we're both... I mean, a lot of people in that race, it was their first Zwift race ever. And I'm kind of like a Zwift junkie. Like I've done tons of races. So it's mm-hmm. it wasn't like a huge decision. Like, should I do this or not? It was like, well, I do Zwift races all the time. I might as well do this one. Yeah. But it's there is kind of a strategy and like a learning curve to racing on Zwift. It's not exactly like racing outside, obviously. There's drafting, okay. power-ups, and how to approach the hills. And I like looked at the course the day before to know where everything, know where the hills were, know where the attacks were going to be. So all those little things like
0: mm-hmm. definitely
2: help in that kind of racing. Cause some people that finished way back had like higher watts per kilo than I did or than Florida did. But, um, it all comes down a little bit to strategy in those kind of races.
3: <laughs> yeah. We, we sort of went through our whole learning how to do okay. and being super frustrated with Swift back in like December, January in Oregon before we came down here and (laughs) get sunshine so we would like literally in when we had a two-hour ride just go get on Zwift at the time when a race was supposed to start get in the C field race it wait 10 minutes get in the B field of another race and then do a cool down and you know just like yeah we race a lot like playing a video game is really the more that it was and and it's it's pretty fun when you look at it like that
0: it does seem like there are a lot of weird quirks I saw that you texting with Flora Flora Duffy who won the ones here is that she didn't even know what power-ups were yet and you were like explaining them to her it seems very complicated to me
2: yeah the power-ups are I don't know sometimes they're helpful sometimes yeah. they're useless <laughs> kind of as luck of the
3: draw it's like Mario Kart if you've ever <laughs> played Mario Kart and yeah the more video games you've done the more it makes sense and you know, like you kind of figure it out but it's certainly not obvious on your very first time
2: yeah and it doesn't make or break your race it's just like kind of a helpful thing sometimes <laughs>
0: So here's my question. Then you guys seem like experts. So maybe you can answer this because we've been wondering a lot about all this like pro virtual racing. You know, obviously Swift has it. Ironman has it now. There's more and more of it. How calibrated is it? How fair is it? Is this like real fine-tuned like should we be taking those numbers super seriously or or as
3: spectators um with the triathlon race that just happened definitely not i wouldn't take any of those numbers seriously well with, you can take well, some <laughs> of them seriously for sure yeah, I overall i'll say like in the in the pro when they do pro cycling races with the money in it that is extremely extremely regulated um, typically they have to have like at least two separate power sources recording at the same time. You have to have a scale that you put a 10 kilogram weight on and like record yourself doing that then record yourself standing on that scale. And like all these checks and balances of data that you have to submit to make sure that you're not even fudging your weight by like half a kilo. Cause that could, you know, make a big difference. So. Um, I think this first one was just like a test for Zwift to see if there was enough viewership for it to make sense w- with triathlon. And if they're ever going to put any money into it, then it, they a hundred percent need to get it done on it on the same level of regulation that they have with all their cycling races. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There was nothing really on the line with the triathlon one other than just, you know, fun and pride or whatever. But I think they were definitely doing the calculation. Some of the weights were, were definitely a little off. Yeah, I mean, I
0: think the same thing happened with the Ironman virtual racing, which obviously there is some money and it's a little more calibrated, mm-hmm. but similar, you know, similar issues. Obviously. Yeah. So
2: yeah, it's really hard to regulate it virtually, obviously.
0: <laughs> it may be the future for a while, though, so we're going to have to get on board, yeah, get used to it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um. So I want to talk to you guys a little bit about van life, because obviously, you know, before this even started, you guys had your van, like you mentioned, you don't really live in it, even though everyone always kind of refers to you guys living in it. How did that all start? Why, you know, why the hashtag van life? Why'd you get the van and and drive it around? And and how do you do it? Like you travel up and down from Oregon to Canada, right?
2: Yeah, we do. I'm Canadian. So we spend kind of half the year there. Um, It kind of stemmed a little bit from needing a ton of space to, to take our bikes. We both really like riding our road bikes or our gravel bikes. So we go to training camp and we don't want to just take a time trial bike. So we have like five or six bikes. Um, And Eric had a quirky van last year that was really old. It was like a 1990 Delica. It broke down. It didn't have air conditioning. So we were in California (laughs) last year and kind of got fed up with that and started looking around at Sprinter vans and kind of got hooked on like the van life movement, like watched a ton of Instagram videos of van conversions and just thought it would kind of be perfect for the type of life we live where we're at one place and then we move to another place and stay there for a bit and, move to another place. So it's nice to have when you're traveling, a place that kind of feels like home. Like we have our stuff in there. We could leave it anytime, move somewhere else and fit all of our stuff in it comfortably without kind of jamming stuff to the ceiling. So it makes sense for our lifestyle right now. And Eric knows how to do the work on the van. Like he basically converted it all himself, which saved a ton of like money, obviously. I think these vans can be really expensive, but good at it. He enjoys it. So it was a good project for him, and he finished it pretty quickly. So,
3: yeah, I've always, I've always wanted to, to, live quote unquote live in a van or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, ever since but <laughs> I was working in a bike shop when I was, still hadn't turned pro yet, and the article, and uh, I think it was in Lava Magazine, came out on the Wortels, uh, Heather and Trevor, and they were doing the legitimately doing it before it van life or RV life or nomadic, anything was like a thing. And I just saw that and like, that's what I want to do. I grew up camping with my family and some motor home and stuff. And like, that's incredible. And when I first wanted to move down to California, I told my coach, I was like, I'm going to live in a van. It's going to be awesome. He's like, no, you're not. I will pay your rent or if I have to, for you not to live in a van. Um, <laughs> so it kind of, it didn't happen, but ultimately I did get a motor home like five years ago. And I lived out of that for like a month and a half in St. George while training with the wortels, And then kind of just, I would, couldn't find a place to put it in San Diego. Then I got the Delica. We discovered the Delica didn't hold all the bikes we wanted to. And it just was kind of this natural progression towards the sprinter van makes sense. Doesn't break down. We, uh, you know, have a little bit more money than I had in 2009 when I turned pro and we were able to kind of finally realize I was able to realize that dream Impala was is, awesomely on board with it. so
0: (laughs) It's living the dream now, too. Uh, What is, though, I mean, obviously, hashtag van life is like, always very glamorous shots. What's the most unglamorous thing, though, about living the van life?
2: We've never really lived in it, especially while training. If we were to, I think the most unglamorous part would be personal space. Like, it's pretty cramped. And we both need to, we spend (laughs) 24-7 together. It's nice to have separate rooms to... Go to to be apart for a bit when we're staying in a house or when we're at our house in Oregon. So that would definitely be the challenge, and yeah, just like um, having space yeah. place to put stuff. Like triathlon requires so much gear, and realistically, there's not really enough space for all that gear in a van. <laughs> so
3: yeah, um, um, like I can speak to it from the time that I did spend in my motorhome in in Saint George. Is that you end up spending all of your time in the day just doing things that would normally be very mundane and basic. Um, So anytime you want to go to the grocery store, it's like kind of an event because you got to make sure nothing's going to fall off. You know, you have to kind of pack up everything and drive to the grocery store unless you have a a motorcycle at that point in time or like going and doing laundry. You have to go to the laundromat, bring your clothes, camp out there for two hours. And sometimes that's okay because that's where you can get Wi (laughs) Fi. But it's just like, it's it's a cool routine to get into, but it's there's not like a whole bunch of this downtime where you can just sit and chill and do absolutely nothing because it, everything yeah. just takes a little bit more work. So I think it would be like probably no problem if you were just a runner, but as a triathlete, I think you would need the same setup that World had, where they had a full size RV towing a trailer that was essentially their garage behind them. They are amazing humans in that they can stay within inches of each other twenty four hours a day, three hundred and sixty five days a year, and not get on each other's nerves. And, you know, there's just a lot that has to be <laughs> perfect in that, you know, the personalities and everything has to be lined up. So not impossible, but but difficult when you have that was- gear as triathlon requires.
0: That was, uh, I was about to ask, like, so are you guys together 24 hours a day? Is there like tension there? How does that work? Like, I feel like everyone right now is in the rest of the world, outside van life, is like stuck at home with their significant other all day now. And everybody's like, whoa, this is intense. But you guys have been doing that all the
2: time. Yeah, it's not a change for us in that sense. We've, we're pretty used to it. It's, I mean, it is challenging because we don't have, I like to have a goal and a race scheduled and everything. So there's like up and down days in terms of mood for both of us. Um, but Eric's like stayed super busy with his vlog and making videos and filming stuff. And I don't know, he doesn't seem bothered by it at all, but yeah, we're pretty used to being attached at the hip all the time. So we get along fairly well.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like, yeah, <laughs> for me, having as many kind of extracurriculars as I have and everything, I don't ever feel like we're just sitting here having to entertain each other. But like the one point of tension would be like when I have been editing for, yeah, like three hours straight and and she's run out of things to do that I, I feel self-conscious about that I'm like just continuing to do a thing when we could like go for a walk in the park or like whatever it is. <laughs> so that's, that's like, I guess like the main thing, but okay. yeah, somehow still haven't, we haven't been getting sick of each other and when we even if like when we go on a bike ride like plenty of times on a bike ride like i'll just sit on the front for an hour and we we won't talk for the whole bike ride necessarily or or we'll have like you know little sporadic conversations and i i remember something (laughs) telling me like some point in time that like the point where you know where you're like comfortable or whatever natural or whatever with a person is when you can like kind of have a sustained silence and it doesn't feel super weird so or you know
0: Okay. Okay. It sounds healthy. Do you guys ever... This is something I was wondering the other day, because I talked to, like, Tim O'Donnell last week mm. about h- him and Miranda. When you guys are both very competitive, though, is there ever, like, is it ever weird after somebody has a good race and the other person has a bad race? How do you guys, like, deal with that kind of uh, situation?
2: Um. Yes. Yeah. I guess it's happening to <laughs> me. No. Um, yes. No, I'm just kidding. That's mean. But he has, like, DNF'd a couple of races that I did well at, so he just... <laughs> I mean, it's hard for me to be happy because I'm concerned about him. And even in the race, I'm, like, asking people on the sideline how Eric's doing, where is he, does is he, is he have a mechanical, whatever. So I'm kind right. of, like, focused on his race even during my race. So in the end of the day, if he doesn't have a good day, even if I do, it's kind of hard to, like, be super happy and celebrate because we both know how hard each other works. But it definitely is easier when one of us does have a – I don't know, like, for Eric to – have me have a good race, must <laughs> you
3: can talk about it? Yeah, so like at uh, <laughs> at Challenge Daytona, when I had my mechanical there and seat posts, like just fully slipped down, um, and Paula ended up winning and just having, I mean, the most incredible race ever. Yeah, I want like three quarters or 90% of me or something like that was just so incredibly pumped and excited for what she was experiencing, and then like this other part of me was just so frustrated and mad that I felt like I was ready for the same thing, but it was, you know, taken away. And then, yeah, you just, you kind of have to internalize that a bit. And it's just, I've, I've been on the other side of the thing where you had um, someone, you know, didn't have a good race and they're just like kind of projecting and bringing down the the excitement that, that you have. And, and I've just like, it, try it. Like in that situation, I'm trying so hard to like, okay, I can talk about how frustrated I am, but I'm, it has to wait till tomorrow or at least let's just at least give this two days and whatever. And like sometimes by the time you've given it a day or two, you cool off or whatever. And I still feel like even in that situation after challenge Daytona, like it, it just, it kind of fired me up more than anything at the end of it all. Once I'd cooled off to like, want to have us both be on, the top step or just on the podium at the same time. So
0: That makes sense. Yeah, because I mean, Daytona was huge. Uh, People who don't know, like Paula won Indian Wells and then a week, 70.3, and then a week later won Daytona outrunning Lucy, which was like a head-to-head, like I saw you guys shoulder-to-shoulder. And a lot of people were like, (laughs) the triathlon internet was like, oh, Paula's getting really good. And I was like, I think she's been good for a while, Mm -hmm. guys. (laughs) I was going to say.
2: No, I've definitely had a lot of injuries and down, like struggles and stuff since my good ITU days so it was a surprise even to me but Indian Wells the weekend before but,
1: right.
2: Eric had a good race there and it like took some pressure off to challenge Daytona but neither of us like had to race well we would have been happy finishing our season at in Indian Wells so Daytona was like a bonus
3: mm-hmm. yeah that was like pretty emotional uh, I mean
2: I was wondering though
0: about the Oh, um, yeah. Oh, sorry. We like, we have like a delay, I think. Go ahead. Finish talking.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah. I was just going to say that was, that was like a pretty emotional thing because of like Paula had had an injury in the middle of the season and we weren't really sure. Like, you know, it was, it was kind of the same situation that we're in right now. Like, are you going to be able to race? We're not totally sure. Is the, is your foot or your, your hip or like whatever the thing is going to feel better in time for the race. And then to have both, you know, to have those both back to back go well was just like, that was like, awesome. Incredible. stuff.
0: So. Yeah, what I was about to ask, and sorry guys for like all the tech issues. We've, you know, it is what it is these days. But what I was going to ask is you have gone through a lot of like ebbs and flows. I mean, obviously, you had like you were really, really good at one point on the ITU circuit and then you got injured and, you know, and then you get really good again. And, then you, and I feel like you both have had huge ups and huge downs. How do you deal with that over such a long career? Like, do you have any advice for people? What's that like?
2: Um, for me, it sort of helped to make the switch to long course eventually. I did make. So my success in ITU was kind of around 2010, 2011, and I made a run at the 2016 Olympics, didn't make it, Was kind of had to decide at that point, do I want to keep going for another four years and try to make the Tokyo Olympics or completely switch that to long distance? And I think switching to the long course side helped with my injuries. It's just less speed, less really fast running, and more like endurance, and it just suited my body more, I think. So. That's helped. It's like switching sports a little bit, but not actually. <laughs> so um, I don't know. That's how I've dealt with it: is like switching mindsets to the seventy point three racing versus being in the ITU world, which is a lot different.
3: Yeah, um, for me, it's really been kind of uh, focusing on the in- entire, all-encompassing aspect of like running a business as a professional athlete, and your know, your business of one. Um, but I really, uh, latched onto the media side of things, onto telling a story. I, I, I draw a lot of energy from, from giving energy back and feeling like some, when somebody says that, I don't know, they, they liked a picture that I took or a video that I made that like gives me a, a good rush of energy. And that's something that for me gets me through if, if my hip is hurting or like, you break your foot, like we both broke our foot, uh, when was that two years ago and, um, being open with that and continuing to share your story of here's how I'm getting better and here's what it feels like and going through and everything that's um, definitely kind of keeps me even keel, even if the workouts aren't necessarily what you want them to be on any given day or week.
0: I guess I should say we have like a bunch of your photos up on our site right now. And uh, yeah. and uh you guys do have like a YouTube channel that you post every week or twice a, or a lot. You post a lot. So
2: yeah, every, every Sunday we try to do.
3: Yeah, yeah. I was, I was doing uh, just videos whenever I could for a long time. And then around in the fall of last year, I started doing them every Sunday at 8am. And um, now it's just kind of like a, a running thing and we're having a lot of fun with it. And I, I I feel like we're getting pretty good feedback and people enjoy it. So, um, yeah, we're, we have, we have a lot of fun as long as people like it, we'll kind of keep doing it and sharing sharing our world as as we see the sport and stuff. so.
0: So yeah, you, uh, I know you and I have talked before and you mentioned just now, like you kind of view it as like the business of being a pro triathlete. What do you then see as the the key part of, of the business of being a pro triathlete? Like it's about more than just doing well, right? So like what do you see as all the components there? And what, you, what do you think your job is basically? <laughs>
3: um, I think it's our job. To, it's, it's, it's different for everybody, I think. Some people are going to be able to make a go at it uh, purely based off their results and being successful and being so fast that – um, sponsors and people want to pay attention to what they're doing just based on that. And then there's people at the other end of the spectrum that, um, are going to need to do a ton of storytelling, have beautiful imagery and all this stuff to just to be relevant and they can share their love for the sport over here on this end or whatever. And then there's, you know, you, there's space in between to where you're kind of putting together, um, what it is at your, your portfolio or your image or, or however, um, but I think the biggest thing with all of it, with everything these days, is just being real, being yourself, being relatable, being able to tell a story and um your results are part of that story.
0: Did you have to teach yourself how to make videos? Like you guys make pretty good videos now and it's like a whole it's a whole thing. How long did it take to do that? How much work does that take? Uh it's kind of a whole other job, basically.
2: Yeah. It's I can't do it. Eric does all the editing and he's been doing it for a month <laughs> or more. So he makes it look easy. Like watching these videos, people are asking like, what editing software do you use? I could do this, but it really is like an art and it is another job and he has a talent for it and he's practiced forever. So that's kind of a special thing that we have that not necessarily everyone can do is do their own filming and editing. And that kind of adds a unique dimension to the videos because it is all from like our perspective and our point of view. And Eric has control over how it's edited and presented and, shared with everyone. So I feel like it's a very honest reflection of our actual day versus if you have a videographer following you around, sometimes things are different or you act different or you're, you know, curating things that aren't real. So I think that's why people have been attracted to it and really like watching it because it's, um, you know, through the good days and the bad days, we we show everything. So
0: Yeah. I think there was like a joke about uh you had to redo something because you look too mean, right? In yeah. one of the videos. Yeah,
2: no, it's hard. It's been adjustment, an adjustment for me for him to have his camera out all the time. I'm getting used to it, but I didn't realize how often my face
3: just looks grumpy
2: without me <laughs> meaning it to be so. Yeah, I'm yeah, better that, at it.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I did slowly over time have to learn how to to do it, but like I've gotten. Learned so much quicker in the past few months just because we're doing one a week. That's really the way. Um, I think I, that, that's that's the way I, I had to learn it anyway. Um, I don't have any formal training. I just as I wanted to do a thing or I saw someone do a video that I liked, I you know, Google how to do this with a camera and figure out what camera I needed and what you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit technique. of an obsession. It's like so, some people get assessed with triathlon. I want the best bikes and the best. Everything. Eric's obsessed with video and wants the best camera and watches videos to learn how to do stuff. So that's yeah, kind of a similar obsessionist trap, mm-hmm. I guess.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I've never actually heard. How did you choose me, to meet? Because like in some ways, you guys came from like very different ends, right? Like you were like ITU Canadian Olympian, and he was like van bum coming out of college. I'm kidding, but you know what I mean? Like to- <laughs> like California, <laughs> San
2: Diego. Well, Eric did I to you as well for a long time. <laughs> we knew each other through that, just like seeing each other at races or whatever. But we actually met at the Beijing International Triathlon. That's where we first started talking. And that race is kind of unique because they just bring six men and six women and you're like together the whole time for the entire week leading up to the race and doing these like tours that they they bring you on and things like that. So it's a good race to make friends or meet or
3: whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, we didn't like super hit it off at the race or anything. I showed up and had food poisoning because I come from a race in the Czech Republic. And so I was like pretty much quarantined in my room for most of the week, but I did like sort of have the realization that I, uh, I was like, Oh, I just, I I hadn't thought about Paula for like, you know, a few months or something, but I think I might be interested. And, uh, so we ended up kind of talking via (laughs) messaging and stuff a little bit after the race. And then our first date, I actually, um, just took a plane up to Canmore to visit her for like a whole weekend. And that was like trial by fire. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) wow. It really doesn't sound like you guys do things half ass.
2: So (laughs) that's true
3: not it's at kind all of
2: essential if you don't live in the same place it's <laughs> the next essential move
3: so yeah
0: and um and obviously like i mean if people don't know but you guys like you've done a lot of videos about you know the stoke of triathlon just doing it because you love it like the adventure and i feel like you guys both mentioned you know you like to bring your gravel bikes you do a lot of trail do you feel like that's going to be something you keep doing do you kind of think that triathlon and like you are going to keep being more like adventure, more like back to grassroots or, or kind of what direction do you kind of see yourself going in with all that? Does that um, makes sense?
3: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I am I'm, mean, I'm glad you brought that up and I'm glad that's coming across. And uh, yes, 100%, I think that's the direction that triathlon needs to go in. If you want to call it back to the way it was or going in the direction of gravel racing or whatever you want to call it, I think that is the future where um, it's less about your finishing time. It's less about getting ready for, uh, I mean, how many Ironmans did you do this year or whatever? And it's more like what, like I said earlier, what moves you, what gets you excited. And that could be doing Patagon man that could be doing dirty Kanza, That could be doing a swim run. I really believe that, um, triathlon multi-sport, whatever it should just be, you can swim and you can bike and you can run and use that however you want to use that. And in which it all be around uh, chasing experiences and, um, having fun with other people, ideally.
0: So are are you guys gonna try like some uh, swim run and gravel racing then? Or I think Eric, or in the future, well, I
3: yeah.
2: honestly don't really like gravel riding. <laughs> I find it really challenging. Uh, I'm trying to like <laughs> want to like it, but it's just so hard for me. So I I love like mountain running and hiking and being in the mountains, being in Canmore where where my family lives. But um, yeah, the cycling aspect is hard, and it's I think it overall, my bike skills need to get better. So it's been a good kind of learning curve over the last couple of weeks just to like get out of my comfort zone on the bike. But Eric for sure is more inclined to do racing than I would be. I think in that domain, i still like the pure, like time trial bike type of racing.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've actually already done a couple of gravel races. I did the uh, Vermont Overland uh, several years ago when I was training with a buddy in Boston and I've grown up on a mountain bike and been doing gravel type stuff since I think before it was, was called something. So, um, yeah, this, this is really an interesting season and in that I think it's kind of making me think about like how valuable it is to like race a 70.3 versus going and, and doing something that's worth telling a story about. So I would, I'm really looking forward to, yeah, trying doing another gravel race, maybe tr- being able to try the swim run that's up in Washington state. Um, and, you know, if my sponsors are on board with it and it can bring something, you know, positive back to the community with a cool story or something inspirational, then I, I would absolutely love to to do more of that.
0: Yeah. I feel like, I feel like you would like swim run, like just personally, I think you should do it. I think it'd be great. So.
3: <laughs> All right. Will you be on my team?
0: <laughs> You're going to need someone a lot faster. So that does raise the question though. And I guess this is hard. I've been asking everybody this, um, kind of where do you go from here? Like, what are your plans for the rest of the year? I guess right now it's just sort of wait and see, right? Yeah,
2: I think it's see if there's going to be any races in the fall. Um, yeah, it's really hard to make any plans. So we're just really going day by day and staying relatively fit. And if a race was announced in four weeks, I think we could be ready for it. That's not going to happen. But if, if there were to, you know, if world championships were 7.3, <laughs> Happens, we can prepare for that, and if not, just keep, you know, making making cool movies and training because we like to train.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think after doing the the lemon video and uh, just some stuff that we've done like that, uh, I kind of want to get something big ish like that on the calendar once a month, and it could be. Uh, For me, maybe, you know, like doing this epic trail around Mount Hood, if, you know, if we're allowed to with the quarantine and once the weather gets better, um, or filming Paula doing another, there's a mountain right next to us called Larch Mountain that could be just like Lemon, um, continuing to make up things that get us excited to, you know, well, I don't want to be totally out of shape when I get ready to do that thing that we're going to make a film about. So, you know. A little, any sort of little bit of extra reason to get on the trainer and everything. And and we'll just kind of have fun with that.
0: All right. Um, we've been doing, in the last couple of weeks, I've been asking people to like, rant, a would you rather. And so here's my question for you too, given, like, your whole, like, traveling lifestyle and adventure. Would you rather, like, be able to, like, tr- live in your van, travel around in your van, but there's never going to be any more races again? Like, you're not going to be able to race. Or you have to stay in one place forever. You can't like go anywhere else, but there are going to be races and you can race.
3: Ooh.
2: I would say the, the traveling part, because I don't know how long my traveling career is going to be overall. Okay. Um, <laughs> actually, no, I know that's a tough one. Eric probably would choose the van life.
3: I would definitely choose the van life. Yeah. Um, I, there's still a whole bunch of places <laughs> that to be, between national parks and everything. And, and as long as like we're creating like you know, keep saying it, videos and and content around it, and there's even a little bit of a trickle of income there, and that would be a really a, a fun thing to do. As as much as I love like having a home base and being centered, okay, um, I think it would be hard to not be able to go to Canada and then go to California and like even even just have two places there.
2: There's so many places we'd love to be. Um, Canmore being one of them, Oregon another. We love Tucson. Actually, we've like really, really enjoyed our time here, and then California, obviously. So, we're we're pretty mobile, and we we like it that way. But I feel also that I have a lot of unfulfilled goals in triathlon. So, it would be tough to never race again and be able to like see those through. Because I think with some consistency, I can be successful in seventy point three, and it kind of is just starting to pick up some speed. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a tough question. I don't know.
3: It's <laughs> a good one.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I, uh, I'm, I'm hoping the 70.3 worlds happens because the women's race should be kind of epic this year. So I'm hoping that happens. Uh Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much guys for, for joining me. And sorry about some of the tech issues, but I hope everybody enjoyed the conversation and, uh, and good luck on your quarantining team.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for talking to us.
3: Yeah. Thanks a lot. I'm sure any (laughs) of the technical difficulties were probably on our end.
2: So, yeah,
0: (laughs) thanks to Paul and Eric for chatting with us. You can see their weekly videos on their YouTube channel and thanks to Tasman for her voice memos. Thanks to our triathlete staff and our editor. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, stay safe and stay healthy.